for you are worth it. And you are worthy of our praise. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you glad you're here this morning? Are you thankful for Jesus this morning? He's, he's the reason you're here, I hope. He's the reason we come on Sunday morning. And if, and if we're not here to focus on Jesus, then there's no point in being here, is there? Amen? Let's focus on Him. I appreciate that this morning. We are, uh, I, I asked a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I was uh, surprised, I guess not really surprised, maybe uh, uh, by the response, uh, the passion in the response. And I'm going to ask it again just because I want to see it again, all right? So uh, I'm curious, how many of you just love change? Yeah, I asked it a little differently because I was expecting silence. That was awesome. You guys did great. Does anybody in here really like change? Anybody? So here's the truth is, is uh, we kind of give, uh, I, th- I think, and of course, being older is very relative. Do you realize that, right? Like to part of the, the audience in here, I'm really old. And I, I was reminded of that this week. I had the opportunity to go out and to, to speak in the youth group on Wednesday night. And uh, I quickly realized that I'm an old man, okay? And, we, you know, because I, I said, you know, we built this building in 2000. And there were a handful of people in the room that were born in 2000. The rest of them had not been thought of yet. Only in God's heart, right? And so I, I quickly reminded of, of how, but I think older generation, whatever that might be in your case, gets a bad rap that um, they don't like change. But the reality is most people, young, old, or in between, don't like change. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, and so that's just the reality of it. And so um, part of, of my personality is I, I just like to mess with people's head. Anybody like that? You know, in our church, you, there's more of you than that. How many of you like that? If, you, if your spouse doesn't raise their hand, raise it for them, right? Uh, in our church in Kansas, um, I wanted to create a culture that change is okay. As long as the change is for a purpose, right? And so one of the ways that I did this, and, and so some of this, this may be somewhat spiritual. This may just be that I'm uh, a still a 13-year-old punk kid at times in my heart. And so we, you know, had a smaller auditorium, and we had chairs, and so everybody kind of got in their routine of where they're going to sit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I can look around the room, and I know that someone's not here because that little uh, spot is not taken. And so we all get into habits. And so what I would do there is about every six weeks, I would just change how the room was set up. And so instead of three aisles, I would make it four. Instead of all the rows being straight, I would put them in an angle like they are here and just watch how people, uh, think like, where am I supposed to sit now? My seat is gone. And there was this one couple that, Always, when, when it was just two sections, one center row, they always sat on the back right there on that corner. And, and so when I would switch it up, and they, had to, they couldn't figure out, are we, wait, are we supposed to sit here or here? Um, how many of you think I'm a jerk for doing that? Just raise your hand. Okay. So be glad we have pews and they're stationary, right? 
I, I did read an article the other day about um, the, I'm trying to think of how it was worded, why, I guess, would be, there, it had like seven reasons, and I have, I can't remember any of them, but why you should switch seats on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm blowing your mind right now, aren't I? You, switch my, you ain't switching my seat. Uh, I mean, I sit in the same seat every, every Sunday, too. I'm not, I mean, I'm, this, I'm a creature of habit as well. But it, it was a really cool article about dry, drive to church. You, you, most of you probably drive to church the exact same way. You probably leave at the exact same time. You know where your Bible is on Saturday night, and so you know exactly where to go Sunday morning and pick it up. And, and that, um, that's not bad. That's just how we are. And so it was even talking about drive to church a different way and just see if it changes your thinking. Sit in a different place. See if it just a different perspective. Uh, for them, those that sit in the stadium seating, the experience is different there than it is for you sitting right here. Uh, for you sitting right here, it's different for them up there, right? And here's another thought. Maybe you'll meet somebody else in the room. Right? Because all of us know that we know who sits behind us, we know who sits in front of us, to the side of us, or right of us. Or right? right? Say amen. amen. All right? It's not wrong. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just, I'm going to be really, uh, I, I like to, how many of you like to study people and behaviorals, right? So uh, I'm going to study next week and see if any of you make this challenge, take a switch, all right? Everybody's going to be so confused. It's going to be greatness. Um, and I don't, I'm going to stop for now, all right? Last week, we had an amazing service with our manna group. And if you weren't here for our manna Sunday, you missed out. Okay? And so I would just say, don't miss any Sunday. You don't know what you're going to miss, all right? Don't miss next week. You want to see where everybody's sitting, all right? So come. Make, that's a good habit to be here, okay? Make a habit of being here. Uh, last week, though, we had our manna Sunday and, and Diego up there. Diego, can you wave at us? All right, Diego stole the show, right? Let's give Diego a hand. Appreciate Diego. Um, but we had, you guys responded so well to that, and I just wanted to give a real quick some instructions in case maybe you're new to Manor or new to the church and you made a commitment to give. On those offering envelopes that are in the pew there, uh, there on the far right as you're looking at it, it says special. So if you're wanting to designate what you're giving to Manna, then on that special, there's actually three things in the column here for special that you could give to. Uh, a class fund, so if you want to give to a specific class, or Manna, or Club 52, and so you'd write that. And then you could circle Manna if that's what you're wanting it to go to, right? I just wanted to make sure that we were clear on, on where that is going. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new, um, new mini-series, this two-week series. So this is the second kind of mini-series in a row. We've been talking about what are we here for? You know, we, we spent a month or so talking about our purpose and our plan and what, what God has called the church to be. We spent two weeks talking about uh, then for you and for me as a church member, what's my role in this? How should I be involved? Am, am I an active? Am I, am I really just coming to sit or am I coming to serve? And, and so that's something that each of us have to wrestle with. Am, am I an active participating church member? And so today we're going to talk about, uh, today and next Sunday, about seven, the seven pillars. Okay, what is the core values of Hallmark? And so to get into our pillars, we're going to take a long, probably 15 to 20 minute journey to get to your outline that's on your bulletin, all right? Because we're going to set this up this morning. And first thing we're going to do is a little bit of review. 
We've talked about our purpose, right? And I hope that you will take the time to memorize why Hallmark exists. Hallmark exists to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. It's not that hard to memorize. In fact, let's all look at the screen and say that together, all right? Can you, can you say it? Can you say this with me, some participation? Here we go. Hallmark exists to glorify God by making disciples. Very good. The focus of the church needs to be on the glory of God. You say amen there. I'm gonna do, we're going we're gonna to do it again. The focus of the church is supposed to glorify God. If the focus of this church or any church is not to glorify God, then you need to find a new church. Because it ceased to exist to be a church. It's something else. Okay, Our focus in everything we do, when we receive the offering, it's not for the church, it's for who? It's for Jesus. It's for His glory. It's a reminder for me, 1 Chronicles 29 and 11, Everything I have is given to me by God. I adore you, Lord, as being in control of all things. Riches and honor come from you alone. It is by your hand that men are made great and given power. This offering that I have an opportunity to give is only because God has blessed me. And it's an opportunity to worship and focus on him. He is my provider. I'm not good. You're not good. It's God who's good in us. And so every aspect, when Ben leads us in worship, it's not to lead us to sing great I hope we can sing great. But the the point of worship ministry, this aspect of the first 20 minutes of the service, is not to sound good. It's not even necessarily to prepare you for the pastor to get up and preach. The focus of that time is to point to Jesus Christ. He is the one we worship. And that's the focus of the church. We we gave you this quote for the last, uh, not last week, the previous two weeks. James McDonald said, The glory of Jesus Christ revealed is what should fuel the fire of a church. Understand that this is not just an application to the church proper local body of Christ. This is also application for you personally. That, That my life, the glory of Jesus Christ revealed, is what should fuel the fire of a believer. So let's think for a moment. If everyone in the room this morning, their goal, their purpose, the fire, what fueled their passion was the glory of Jesus Christ in everything they do, in every place they go. When you walked in the doors of this church proper here, this building, would we collectively as a church be about the glory of God? Yes. And so we want it to be about us as a church, but that starts with me, that starts with you, that starts with individuals. The plan, we want three words we've been focusing on, we want you to focus on, is to reach, relate, and replicate. We want to reach the lost. We want to relate. We want to connect. We want to connect people to God and connect people to each other. We want to replicate. We want you to make disciples who make disciples. And I'm not going to take a long time there. We spent a couple weeks on that. And then the prayer, the purpose, the plan, the prayer. We've been praying since the first Sunday of January that God would do more in us, and through us, and for us. Could we read this scripture together this morning? We'll start with the reference, all right? Read it good and loud. Ephesians three twenty through 21. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more 
than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus. Don't you want that to be here? For God to do infinitely more in us and through us and for us. And again, I would say collectively a church, that's what I want. But that's not going to happen until individually that happens. And we individually pray, God, in my life, do more. In me and through me and for me. And so, again, the same rationale would follow if we as individuals were praying this prayer. If we as individuals were surrendered to God. God, I want you to do more in me this year than ever before. I want to be more involved. I want to, I want to be closer to you. I want to be more time in your word. I want to be a witness. I want to share my faith. If we individually as a group were to do that, would we collectively as a church see God do more in us? And I hope that's what you want. That's what I want. In Sunday school, or uh, as uh, we've been calling it, connect groups this morning. We're in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, it's interesting. So let's just take a quick tour of Acts before we get there. So in Acts 15, they're having this huge decision. They have the Jerusalem Council. They're trying to figure out whether uh, it's grace plus law, whether it's Jesus plus Moses. Is there something in addition? Is it for by grace we are saved through faith, or is it for by grace we are saved also plus fulfilling the law? And so they're having the council meet to decide this. It's interesting that how quickly, how quickly the mission can be forgotten. In Acts chapter 1, you know, Jesus had just died, and he had come back to life, and he was about to ascend to the Father, and he told the disciples there, the, probably the 120, and he said, Go back to Jerusalem and wait, and wait for the power of God to come on you, the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 180, he says, After you've received the power, you will be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Go wait, spend some time in prayer, wait for the Holy Spirit to empower you, and after you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. In Acts chapter number 2, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They preach. Peter preaches. 3,000 people are saved. Then we see in chapters three and verse, uh, chapters 3 through 7, the disciples are on mission, mostly. On mission, telling people that Jesus loved them, that they died for them, that they need to repent of their sins and there's forgiveness. Jesus, the one that we just, that, that we just crucified, he really is the Messiah. And all through chapters 3 and 7, you see the disciples preaching, arrested, imprisoned, stop preaching the gospel, and they get back out of prison and they continue preaching the gospel. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Chapter 8. Really, the end of chapter 7. Remember what Jesus said, you'll be witness in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And up until this point, until end of chapter 7, they had only stayed in Jerusalem. That's why I kind of had that disclaimer in there. Partially they were obedient. And Stephen was martyred. Chapters 3 through 7, arrest, don't preach, they get out, they preach. Finally, Jesus is killed because he proclaims the name of Jesus. And very quickly, right in the first part of chapter 8, because of persecution, because of the death of, of Stephen, the church finally goes out. Only because of fear. And when they left, they begin telling people about Jesus. Then in chapter 9, we see Saul 
converted, becomes Paul and gives his life to Christ. Chapter 10, Peter has a dream and uh, Peter's dream is uh, God tells him in a vision to go to this city and go to Cornelius' house and Cornelius is a Gentile. And so again, they start in Jerusalem, persecution leads them out of Jerusalem, but up until this point, they're only preaching to Jews, not to the Gentiles. And God tells Peter, salvation is for all people. And for most of us, we should be very thankful because most of us in the, in the room this morning are Gentiles. And I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just die for Jews. He died for me. He died for you. Can I get an amen? And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius' house, he gathered a crowd, and they all give their life to Christ, and they were saved, and they were baptized. And then everybody's celebrating, except we get back to the, tr- the church in Jerusalem, chapter 11, like, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you preaching to those people? It's for the Jews. And how quickly in a church... We can lose focus on the mission. So chapter 11 is a recount of chapter 10. Peter's saying, this is what happened. God told me to go. I went. People gave their life to Christ. They were given the gift of the Spirit. We baptized. And luckily in chapter 11 they said, I guess salvation is for the Gentiles. I guess I'll believe Jesus. Right? And in chapter 12, through 14, the gospel spreads, and Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey. Then Acts chapter 15, as you learn in connect groups this morning, legalism, grace plus law, Jesus plus Moses. The specific thing they were dealing with was circumcision, but it could have been anything. And this week I was uh, reading, uh, Matt gave me an article, and, and it was talking about, Andy Stanley talked about a church in the church setting. Uh, and I would say also, as kind of we're drawing this parallel, not just a church, but in my life, in your life, there's three natural things that we're going to drift to. And we're talking about church and about our walk with God. Three natural things that we're going to drift to, right? Everybody knows what it means to drift, Right? Just slowly over a process of a time, naturally what is happening is going to take place. Okay? And so I want to walk through these three things. And in Acts chapter 15, uh, J.D. Greer kind of expounded on this and pointed to Acts chapter 15. That how quickly in a church we can lose focus of our mission, our purpose, what God really intended us to, to be doing and what the church is about. So let's look at the first three. Number one. The drift from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. That's a natural drift for any church, for any believer. The, you know, the longer that I have been saved, the longer that you've been saved, usually the less friends you have that are not saved. And, and that's just, that's natural. You hang out with people who, who look at the world the way you look at the world. It's not wrong, it's, it's natural. And so we have a tendency, especially in the church setting, to drift towards, let's look inside and make it for us when God said it's for them and His glory. And, and you know who struggles with that more than anybody in this room probably? This, so look at the statement. The drift from passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. You, you know who struggles with that 
most in this room today? It's me. You know why? I mean, the natural, normal reasons. But me personally, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I am a people pleaser. I, I, I like you to like me. Don't you like people to like you? I like people to like me. And I'll go out of my way to make sure you do like me. And if you don't like me, I will continue to go out of my way just to make you mad that I'm trying to make you like me. That's, hey, open confession, right? That guy don't want to shake my hand. I'm shaking his hand every time I see him. And so in my position that God has placed me in, in my personality, do, do you see how I'd have a tendency to, to drift? Let's just make it comfortable. But in that, who am, I, who am I living to please? Me and you. And sometimes that's okay. But who should I be living to please? God. And so I have this natural tendency. We all have the natural tendency in the church, a natural tendency. In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, uh, it'll be on your screen. And I love the way that the NLT says it. James so there's this debate about circumcision and grace plus law, Moses and Jesus, and, and, and all these things are going on. And James gets up, and James says, he says, look, here's the accounts that Peter and Paul have given us about the Gentiles who's given their life to Christ. We can't discount that. And we need to, and then he, but then he goes to a much better source. Okay, so just what people experience isn't always a great source, Right? If it doesn't, their experience doesn't back up what Scripture teaches, then that's not of God. Are you tracking with me? Uh, I had a lady come forward a couple years ago in Kansas, and she said to me uh, that I feel like God wants me to move to California, and he wants me to marry, and she said some rock star, famous guy. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm not tracking with you. I said, aren't you married already? Yeah. Do you know such, this uh, said rock star? No. I said, I don't know what you're hearing or who you're hearing it from, but I can tell you that what you're telling me goes against what God's Word says. If you're married, you're supposed to stay married. And she never came back to church. She may be married, I don't know. So James says, Paul and Peter had these experiences. We can't discount that. But the reason we can't discount that is because this is what God's Word says. That Jesus came for all. Salvation is by grace through faith. And he said in, in 1519 here on the screen, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles from turning to God. So me, personally, for us as a church, we always need to be aware that our natural tendency is going to be to drift, to think inwardly, not outwardly. And what we have to do is to make it, remove every barrier that we can think of for the Gentile to come to Jesus. 
And I have to wrestle with it. You have to wrestle with it. What am I willing to give up or to change or to concede for someone to hear Jesus Christ? Is it more important for someone to hear about Jesus than for people to like me? It's an easy answer, isn't it? So we have this tendency to drift. Number two, the drift from grace to law. Okay, so this just is kind of this drift. I think it's a progressive drift here. First, it's I'm going to please people uh, and not worry about those who don't know Jesus Christ. And then we go this drift from grace to law. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves the gift of God, and not of works lest anyone should boast. And this is just a natural, again, drift. As we uh, take our eyes off the lost, we look inward, and then we become, the, this is the, the, the drift of the Pharisees, right? From a few laws to 683 or whatever it was. Aren't you thankful? In the Connect group I was in this morning, William taught a great lesson on just Jesus. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Whether you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ or not, do you realize this morning there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more? And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less? That's grace. I don't have to live up to the standard because Jesus did. Are you thankful for Jesus? Grace. Amazing grace. The next drift, and we're going to go quickly here. The drift from a focus on internal transformation to one on external conformity. Again, this tracks the Pharisees. They're more, remember in Matthew chapter 23, and Jesus is like, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And it's like, You wash uh, the outside of your cup, but the inside is filthy. You're whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. Everything looks great, but you're filled with dead man's bones. I mean, that's pretty harsh conversation, right? And Jesus said we have a, a tendency here then, because we're huddled in our group of believers, to everybody has to look the same, act the same, and do the same. And we're more worried about how people look and act than whether they're going to heaven or hell. And that shouldn't be. So we have this tendency. So here, here's what we're, I'm wanting to present to you this morning. How do we as a church, how do me personally, how do you personally avoid this drift? If you've been in church a while and we walk through those three drifts, you know that's the truth. You know there's a struggle for every church, for every believer to, to just get caught up in that drift. So how do we avoid this drift? And so this is what we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about, these seven pillars. If we'll keep our focus on these pillars, what, what, what should Hallmark be known for? And you're going to notice in these seven pillars, I, I want you to evaluate our church. I want you to evaluate yourself. Do you think that, that we are, li- are we known by these seven things? And if we're not, what can we do to get there? Because I don't think we'll ever complete, you, you know, you never completely arrive but what can do in process to get there. The first one that we want to be known for is unapologetic preaching. We want to preach the Word of God. Somebody uh, was up here the, this, this week and was talking, and, and, and their conversation with me uh, was very encouraging. And they said, you know, John, 
Um, I don't understand, I, I remember exactly how they worded all the changes that have taken place. But they said, here's, what I, here's why I'm at Hallmark Baptist Church. Here's what I appreciate most about you, that you preach the word. And that's the focus, isn't it? We want to preach the word of God. The, the rea- you know how many people have told me over the last uh, eight or nine years of preaching, man, you actually open up the Bible and preach the word of God, or you actually tell something about the Bible. And I'm thinking, yeah. If Hallmark stops preaching the word of God, then you need to leave. That's when it's okay. I'm out. Or you need to get rid of the guy that's standing up here. Right? See, we we don't want to preach to conform to the world. Romans says, don't don't begin born to the image of this world, but be transformed by the reign of the mind. We don't want to preach to conform to the world. We want to preach to transform the world. And the only thing that will transform the world is not my great thinking, because there's not much of that. It's what? The Bible. God's word changes people, not me. Unapologetic preaching. We, I wish we had time. We don't have time, but... It, all through the book of Acts, and I'll give you the reference. You have an outline, so right, right here on the reference, Acts chapter 3, 13 through 15. Really, you could read the whole uh, Acts chapter 3 and, and Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 3 and 4, remember Peter gets up, and he's just like, they just received the gift of the Spirit, and they're, they're in, the, in the temple, and they're like, you, you religious people, it is you who killed Jesus, the Messiah. You put him on that cross. Remember, Pilate was willing to let him go, but you said, no, give us Barabbas. You killed Jesus, that same Jesus who came back to life, of which we are witnesses. And they said, don't preach the name of Jesus. And one of the disciples said, we can't help but preach Jesus and him alone. Salvation is by Jesus alone. And, it, and almost all the disciples, the apostles, were killed for their faith. But they didn't stop preaching. Hallmark Baptist Church should never stop preaching and not make an apology for it. If the Bible says it, I believe it, it's true. Number two, unashamed worship. John chapter 4, verse 24, God, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I talked a little bit about this, but just to make a quick note, worship is, when I, when I say unashamed worship, we're not relegating worship to the 20 minutes that we stand here and sing right? Worship is not about this up here, per se. It's worship is your lifestyle. In all that you do, do it to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Worship is those of you who stand out there with the orange lanterns and welcome people to church. That is a form of worship. Those in the nursery who are changing diapers, thank God for them. It's a form of their worship, right? Everything you do, every mundane thing you do in your life, you can do as a form and act of worship to glorify God. And that should be all of us. In our work, in our school, wherever our hobbies are, we can bring honor and glory to God in everything we do. Number three, unceasing prayer. And, and I told you to evaluate 
And I would say that as a church, and, and probably a lot of churches, we, we may fall short in this. For me as your pastor, I know I fall short in this area. Where does the power of God come from? It's from prayer. And, and I get real busy trying to fix things when I need to trust in who? God. Stop. Pray. I, I want to encourage you in, the, in uh, the fellowship meeting that's coming up and all the pastors from all over. Many of you have been writing notes, and I want to say thank you for that. Uh, if you're not one of those guys that likes to write notes or ladies that likes to write notes uh, and you want to give towards that, put in the offering. Uh, encouragement for the, the fellowship meeting or BBFI meeting. And, and we have some ladies who are going to be writing quite a few uh, envelopes of encouragement just for us in here that are too lazy to do that, okay? So if you'd like to be a part and give, you can do that. But w- what I want to encourage you is show up for those meetings. Especially when I, when I just read this unceasing prayer, it made me think of um, Wednesday morning. John Arnold will be speaking here. And his whole ministry, he'll talk about his, how, how his whole ministry at his church completely was transformed when they focused on prayer. And some of you in the, in the room this morning are, are great prayer warriors, and I want to thank you for that. And over the last month, I've had many of you tell me you've been praying for our staff and for me, and I want to say thank you for that. But, but maybe there's some of you out there that prayer is just your gift, it's your thing, and maybe God's wanting you to start a prayer ministry here at the church. Uh, we have several guys who meet every, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in FC 107 to just pray for this service. Maybe we need a lady to start a ladies' prayer meeting. Because I want to be a church that's known for prayer, don't you? And, and I don't think we're there yet. I know we're rushing. Number four, unafraid witness. Unafraid witness. Ephesians chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. You probably have time to turn there. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And these, this passage is both for prayer as well as witness. Praying always with all supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So praying always, right? For, the, for other believers, in verse 19, and for me. Paul is asking that they would pray for him. What is he asking that they would pray for him for? That utterance may be given to me, that I may open up my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How many of you would say Paul had already been bold in his faith? It blows my mind that Paul, who I would say is the greatest missionary ever to walk the face of the earth, the greatest evangelist to ever proclaim the name of Jesus, and what is he asking the church to do? Pray that he would have boldness. And if Paul, who I think is pretty bold, I mean, he was stoned several times, he was shipwrecked several times, he was beaten several times, and they told him, quit preaching the name of Jesus. And he said, no, I'm going to keep preaching the name of Jesus. And yet this man asked the church, pray that I have boldness. If Paul prayed that prayer and asked people to pray that prayer, do you think that it's something maybe we should be praying and also asking God to do in our life? That we'd be unashamed, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador. Do you, do you realize what that means? Paul is saying, I am God's spokesman. God has chosen me to give the message of grace. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that verse is for you too. 
for which I, John, an ambassador, I'm asking that you would pray that I would speak boldly as I ought to speak. Unafraid witness. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. I referenced this earlier when I got really excited. Acts chapter 4. It says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered, Whether it's right to the sight of God to listen to you more than God, will you be the judge of that? But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you have that passion in your heart to tell people how much Jesus loves them? Should we have a passion in our heart to tell people how much Jesus loves them? We should. And today, as we come to a closing part of the message, I just want to ask you to examine yourself. And I want to, I want to just ask you a few quick questions this morning. And I want you to think in your mind, does this, does this apply to me? Does this relate to me? Am I, out of these four pillars we've gone over, which one do I personally need to work on most? First question is this. Have you drifted away from being passionate about the lost? Is it possible in your life that you've become focused on you, us, and not them? The next question Are you living a life of worship? In all you do. Remember the, the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What you worship more than God has become your God. What you give more value to than God has become your God. Are you sharing Jesus? When's the last time you told your story? This was really cool this morning. It wasn't planned, but I, I try to get into uh, the builder's class every, uh, every morning. I run from our prayer meeting over there and just try to greet people. And uh, usually I'm interrupting when they're trying to start. But uh, Doris was starting the service, and she said, We've been challenged to tell our story. Then they begin to sing. Remember the old hymn, I love to tell the story? And I ran from there into um, a, new, a new believers class that Allison started for our kids. Most, this today, they were all boys in there. So pray for Allison, but they're all your boys. About eight, nine, ten years old, some a little younger. And when I walked in there, they had this clear box. In the clear box, they were decorating um, that may, maybe we could think of a better word for boys than decorating, but they were decorating, and they had all written on their box, my story box. She was teaching them to tell their story. So I sat down for a few minutes and said, hey, you got, you got, you got two minutes. I want to tell you my story. 
and I told these boys my story, and I said, hey, I was just in another class, and uh, they're a little bit older than you guys, and I told them, or I told them, I just heard them talking about telling their story. And I told them my story, and I said, listen, here's what this class, the next three weeks for you is about. Learn your story. Tell your story. And then it convicted me. And I wonder if it convicts you. Am I sharing Jesus? The last question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I'm going to listen as, as Ben sings a song this morning.